Last week was kind of the biblical support for church membership, membership excuse me, uh, as kind of a, just a foundational um, message for this series about church membership. I said that the Bible implies church membership, encourages church membership, and instructs church membership. We talked about the difference between the capital C church, which is all believers around the world throughout time, and the lowercase c church, which is a local body of believers, a local congregation. We said that there's different instructions in the Bible given to God's people that have to be carried out or obeyed in some kind of community, some kind of congregation or togetherness. And so that's what I was pointing at when I said it implies that there's some kind of official defined list in each area or city or community where there's a body of believers and the overseers know this is the body of believers that I'm responsible for overseeing. And so if there wasn't any kind of official identifying with a church, uh, we would use today the term membership, then the overseers didn't know, right? Who, whose flock is this person in? And am I supposed to be caring for this person? Or if this person leaves my flock and goes to another, let's make sure that we're communicating overseers to make sure that uh, we're not just sending, you know, you know, wolves in sheep's clothing from one body to the next, that kind of thing. And so we said that some sort of official identification with the local church was definitely happening um, and that to obey all the uh, the one another's, the 59 one another statements in the New Testament, they have to be carried out in some kind of Christian community. But was it necessary to, to be a member of a church? So not for salvation, of course, because that would be a work. And our work, uh, our salvation does not come by works. But it was, again, necessary to fulfill the commands that God has given us as his people to identify with a local body. And so, uh, also kind of finished last Sunday by saying the only prerequisite or the main prerequisite to becoming a member of a church is to have surrendered your life to Jesus by faith for salvation. If the global church, capital C, is made up of believers, those who have surrendered their lives to Jesus, and then the local church, which is a part of the global church, must be made up of believers. And so salvation is a kind of a prerequisite for church membership. Today we'll start looking at some of the benefits and some of the... Um, I don't want to say burdens, just because it starts with B, but uh, some of the expectations or commitments that are upon us as members of churches. And so the next several weeks will be those things, things that we uh, get the blessing of as being a part of a church and the things that we're called to do as a part of a church, um, some of the expectations we find. <clears throat> this morning we'll focus on belonging the belonging we find in the family of God, and the hospitality we're to show as uh, we are the body of Christ. And so the hospitality we show to others, the welcoming, the belonging uh, that we find ourselves. Did you know that social belonging is hardwired into the human brain? Uh, secular science, that is science without regard from, uh, for God, would even recognize this. Uh, they may not use the term hardwired because it kind of implies design, which I believe is true. Uh, but the scientific community has studied and observed in two separate studies that I came across, one out of MIT, that humans crave social interaction in the same area of the brain that we crave food. And we experience social exclusion in the same area of the brain that we experience physical pain. And so there is detriment to social exclusion tied together, and there is a desire or hunger for social connect connectedness, connectedness, excuse me, um, 
that is built into us as humans. Now, I believe God has wired this into us by design because we're designed for community with other people. We flourish in community. We long to belong. And I'd like today, hopefully, as I try every week, to kind of tie this universal problem in humanity to the gospel answer or response. If Christ meets all of our needs, or all of our needs are met in Christ, as the Bible tells us, then our need for belonging is met somehow in Christ. God has to have answered this problem for us if he's designed us this way. I don't say this to say um, not to endorse the prosperity kind of gospel, right? If I have a need, then Christ will meet all those needs. Whatever, if I just claim Jesus, I'll get whatever I want. It's not how it works. But just to say that if there's a need or problem in what it means to be human, a longing, then God has addressed that longing in Jesus because he is the creator and designer of humanity. So firstly, how does the gospel address our need to belong, specifically in the church? Well, we're all welcomed into the church. Point number one, we're all welcomed into the church. I've mentioned a few times that a prerequisite for church membership is being born again by faith. So let's back up a bit. Let's look at the prerequisites for being born again. Number one, be a sinner. That's it. That's the whole list. Salvation is for those who need saving. The only thing that qualifies you or makes you eligible to be saved is imperfection. It's a pretty low bar, right? It's the lowest bar. Just be alive, basically. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of God's perfect standard. Scripture tells us this. The Bible also says that the consequences of our sin is spiritual death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. 1 Timothy 1.15 says Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Paul would write in Romans 10.13 that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus himself said in Matthew 11.28-30, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus invites all, everyone, sinners, to be saved, to trust in him by faith, to have our sins forgiven and receive everlasting life. And in doing so, he's given us a place to belong. There's no sad, no dogs allowed, like from Charlie Brown. There's no can't sit here, that's a terrible quote but, uh, or impression, uh, from Forrest Gump when he's trying to find a seat on the bus and everybody's being mean to him. That exclusion does not exist. No, Jesus doesn't flinch. He doesn't hesitate. He doesn't pretend not to see us and look the other way. He knows us. He knows our sin. He knows our shame. He looks us in the eye and he says, come. He says, come, all who labor and are heavy laden. Anyone who is weighed down by failure or effort or trying or just the thought of trying to earn salvation, he offers peace and rest. When we trust him by faith, we receive salvation, this rest for our souls. And we established last week that all the saved people throughout history and throughout the world make up the capital C church. So Jesus welcomes us into the church, and when we become part of the body of Christ, we are stepping into this gospel-centered family, a gospel-centered family. 
Let's consider the belonging we find in our gospel-centered family, a body founded on the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Think about your family. You don't really get to pick your family, but you're supposed to learn to get along with and enjoy and love your family. Family is supposed to be forever. Our spiritual family is forever and then some. We'll be children of God and brother or sister to our fellow believers forever, for all eternity. God has unconditionally adopted us and given us all the most powerful resource or source of unity ever, his spirit. And we've entered into God's family by the same grace, the same good news, belief in the same Jesus, and we've all received that righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. They say blood is thicker than water. Well, the gospel is thicker even than blood. Spiritual family is a bond that cannot be broken because it's united by the Spirit of God. Our family in Christ is founded in the gospel. It's a gospel-centered family. We have this amazing, life-altering, shared experience and commonality over which to bond and find belonging. No matter how unique our lives have been before Christ, if we're in Christ, it's been the same process of salvation by grace through faith for all of us and the same Holy Spirit of God indwelling us. Start to think of the things that you bond with other people over, sports, music, geography, politics, hobbies, work. None of those things are as powerful or eternally significant as the Holy Spirit who unites and indwells all believers. And think of how strong this sense of belonging you find sometimes in these earthly commonalities can create some really strong community, some really strong togetherness. So what are the implications here? First, we should pursue community with other believers. We should pursue community. Second, if we get along with and find more belonging because of shared interests with those who are far from God than we do with other Christians, something is wrong. So if we have a stronger community with people who don't know Jesus than with other believers, there's a problem. Our community with other believers should be the strongest community we can experience. I mentioned last week how early Christians prioritized the unity they had in Christ over other things because they didn't have the option to church hop, right, and go where they felt uh, they were best served or most convenient or most comfortable. Um, hopefully the church they were part of uh, was, was comforting and ministered to them and welcoming, but they didn't really have the options that we do today. They knew people were created for community, uh, and they knew that in Christ they had a unique community that they couldn't find anywhere else. And so they joined up with other believers, despite what other interests might have divided them. When we see how they lived in community, I read this passage last week, and so I'll just refer to it now, Acts 2, 42 through 47. You can see how the early church came together and what they did as they started to just experience this community meeting one another's needs and studying and doing things that uh, some that you could experience outside of the family of God, but some that can only be experienced in Christ. Is this our outlook today? Are we working on being in community and finding belonging with other Christians? Or do we need a group of Christians who share all of our other interests as well? And so it's really just kind of a culture or a lifestyle that we're we're trying to line up with, rather than a unity in Christ by the Spirit. The early church and small churches like ours 
We don't have that luxury, right? We don't have uh, a Sunday school class for college and career and one for young marrieds and another for senior citizens. We have one class. We have one Bible and one Holy Spirit who unites us, so it should be okay, right? Not that it's just that simple to just plug and play, but we might have to work a little harder to get past the surface, but deep down, what unites us is stronger than all those other things, stage of life or interest or anything like that. We need to remember that our belonging is tied to our sin, which we all had in common, we're all sinners, and our Savior, if we're in Christ, that we all have in common. That's our primary lines of finding belonging. And if we do that, it'll enhance our sense of belonging with gratitude and also, I believe, foster a heart within us to extend to others a welcome into the church. So point number two, just two points today, right? We were welcomed into the church. We extend welcome into the church is point number two. If belonging is the blessing we receive from the church, then welcoming is what we extend to others in light of that. A grateful heart gives back. Consider the encounter Jesus had with a Samaritan woman at the well. After showing himself to be the Messiah, kind of blowing her mind with what he knew about her, explaining to true worship to her that worship is a spirit and truth. It's not about you know, that denomination or this denomination. She ran into town proclaiming him to others. Her heart was changed, and then she wanted to go share that with others, to let them in on it. Romans 15.7 from our call to worship says, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So as Christ has welcomed us, no strings attached, unconditional love, and shown us his grace, we are to welcome others, no strings attached, and show them grace. 1 John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. People who've been transformed or changed by Jesus and really encountered him and experienced his grace, we should be changed to the point where we want to say, I, I want to share that grace with you. I want you to see. I want you to experience. I want you to know this Jesus who's welcomed me and given me salvation. The idea here is that true experience with Jesus, true life transformations result in extending grace or welcome to others. If we truly realize the belonging we found in Jesus and how undeserving we are of it, then we should in turn extend welcome to others who are just as lost as we once were, and also to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Hebrews 13.2 says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. And this isn't just a New Testament idea. Leviticus 19 says, you shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. You shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Even way back in the Old Testament, right, God's people are being told this and being taught this lesson to extend hospitality because they knew what it was like to be outsiders at one time as well. Pastor and author Tony Merida refers to this as grace-centered hospitality. It's embracing the belonging we found in our gospel-centered family and offering it to others rather than keeping it all to ourselves. Grace-centered meaning we're not offering hospitality because someone earned it or because of what they can do for us. Partiality like this is condemned in the Bible. James 2, 1 through 9 says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. 
For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? which he has promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme and honor the honorable name of which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So building our own partiality into the church is anti-gospel because as we've established, Jesus welcomed us in our sin. He doesn't say get yourself cleaned up, get your act together, start living right, and then come to me for salvation. He comes to us in our sin and offers us salvation. Ray Ortland used to put it this way. It's kind of a mantra that he had at his previous church. Number one, I'm a complete idiot. Number two, my future is incredibly bright. And number three, anyone can get in on this. It's this simple of a concept. That phrase just jumped off the page at me. I'm a complete idiot. Right? Our sin, our failure, our shame, our guilt, our disobedience towards a holy and perfect God We remind ourselves of our sin every week, right? But number two, my future is incredibly bright. I've received salvation from a holy God by grace. And I've received the righteousness of Christ. And so my future is incredibly bright. And it doesn't stop there. It's not just for me. Anyone can get in on this. We should welcome and love one on everyone we come into contact with. We should take the initiative in extending hospitality. We should lead with it, just like Jesus moved toward us first. Romans 5.8, right? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus showed grace to us as sinners. We're to show grace to others. Jesus moved first. Our welcome to others should be the first move. Because to experience and enjoy grace is to turn around and extend grace. I remember visiting a church when I went off to college, um, went to a small town, so there weren't a lot of options like what I was used to back home. And so you would go and visit different places, maybe an upperclassman who said, oh, come to my church or go over here. And I remember one of them walking into, and it was uh, smaller than this, this facility, this campus, Complete. And when I looked around, it seemed like the congregation was all um, senior citizens, senior adults, but so welcoming, so loving. Not a grumpy bunch of folks, right? But a very hospitable group of people. They didn't have the production value, the worship style, the fanciness, the modern anything like my home church, but they treated us like family when we walked through the doors. And I would come to realize later, I didn't think about this much going away to school, but they get this influx of college students, right, every fall, and then every summer probably goes 
back to uh, a smaller, much smaller group. And I doubt we had anything in common except being uh, Texans, which, I mean, that's a pretty strong bond by itself, but on paper, we had nothing to unite over, right? But these people were part of the church, God's family, and their lives had been forever changed by God's grace. So they extended welcome to anyone who visited their congregation. We can either be welcoming and hospitable like this, or we can be the you're-in-my-seat kind of people. I think we know which type Christ calls us to be. I've been to, I was thinking, I've been to Kenya, South Africa, Puerto Rico, Honduras, Ukraine on mission trips over the years. And I've been amazed at how our brothers and sisters in Christ have welcomed us into their homes and their churches despite those cultures being so different from ours and even from each other, right? There was a common thread of Christ's blood and this Holy Spirit that united us and this culture of grace triumphed over those things that, that make us different. This is how it should be with God's children, Christ's body around the world and right here locally at Missio Day Church. My hope, my prayer, is that we're a community where brothers and sisters find belonging and a spiritual family that is marked by the grace of welcoming others. And I want to challenge us this week to, to intentionally extend a welcome to someone, to invite them into your life, your home, invite them to coffee, invite them to church, invite them to community group, invite them to read and discuss the Bible with you. But just as we enjoy God's grace in Jesus welcoming us, let's extend God's grace by welcoming others. Let's pray. God, thank you for... Um, just a heart to, uh, to save us. To see us in our sin, to see us at our lowest, to, to know uh, the sins that we have committed and the sins we haven't even committed yet. And despite all that, to show compassion on us, to extend grace to us, to send your son, for Jesus, for you to come and while we were still sinners, to die for us. Welcoming us into the family of God. God, I pray that if, if we've experienced that grace, if we know that grace, it's realized in our lives that uh, we would just live like we're transformed people. We would live like we understand how immense your grace is towards us, how undeserving we are of your grace. Far be it from us to, to withhold your grace from others, to take on an attitude that Jesus, you did not even take on yourself, to judge others and to suggest that they need to get their act together before they can come to be church people like us, that we would love like you love, we would welcome like you welcome. And God, that you would transform and change lives. That your family would grow. That your church would expand. That worship would increase as people come to know you and know your grace. God, work in us. For some of us, harder than others to, to, to take that initiative and to take that first step 
So show us small ways, God, that we can extend your grace to others. Little ways that we can start to build into our lives where we can just extend love and grace to other people, inviting them into our lives, inviting them to the church, into your church, into your body. I thank you again for this morning, God. I thank you for the opportunity to, uh, to dig deeper into your word in the second hour. We pray, God, that the words we've heard from your scripture this morning would just uh, transform us and change us as you promise your word is living and active. And so uh, we pray that it would just continue to minister to us. And God, that our communities would be changed, our neighborhoods would be changed, our offices would be changed because of your love, your grace lived out through us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.